I'm Chris from Play Comics, a show where we look at video games based on comic properties and how well they stick to that source material, a part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other astonishingly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You are listening to the Starling Tribune, a podcast dedicated to the Arrow TV show. I am the Green Arrow. The Green Arrow has entered through the front door. This podcast is not produced or maintained by the CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, situations, and stories are the properties of Time Warner. I am the Oracle, and this is your Tribune. Welcome back to Earth 2's favorite newspaper, the Starling Tribune. And Earth 2's getting kind of crowded lately. We'll get into that later in the episode. I'm the Chief Editor SP and your other award-winning great reporters for this episode number 249 of the Starling Tribune are Chris. Favoritism. You do a great mech. I wish I could do your mech. And he did have a good episode. And Michelle. Gary Green is all the man we need. Chris, I got to go. See ya. You did that very well, Michelle. Oh my gosh, that is creepy. Creepy. We'll talk about that later too. This podcast is recorded on Thursday, September 19th, 2019, live on www.geeks.live. Come on and join our live chat as we record. That's right, and this evening we'll be discussing Legends tomorrow, as well as news, interviews, articles, and announcements that have dropped in the past couple weeks that could, and let's be honest, they probably will impact future episodes of Legends of Tomorrow, as well as these shows in the greater universe. That includes the Arrow, Flash, Black Lightning, Supergirl, Batwoman, and probably stuff I'm forgetting, and if I am, I apologize. If you're new to the show, thank you for searching us out on the internet and joining us. After the show, you can check out our content at GunnaGeek.com, where you can also find other geeky videos, podcasts, and articles. Thanks, guys. And let's just go ahead, Michelle, and break down the current episode for us and get right into it. This episode is called Nip Stuck. It's Season 4, Episode 14. It aired Monday, May 6, 2019. It's directed by David Geddes, who has six directing credits with Legends, and he actually has 95 overall cinematography credits. Written by Ray Utarnichit, who's written 13 Legends, one Supergirl, and one of The Flash. And Matthew Mala, who's written 11 episodes of Legends. Since this episode aired way back in May, we're in the waning days of September, going into the next seasons of the CW shows here in just a couple of weeks. There were four shows in the CW's Arrowverse that aired this particular week in May. On Sunday, the 5th of May, Supergirl aired the 20th episode of their fourth season titled, Will the Real Miss Tessmacher Please Stand Up to a Live Plus 7-Day DVR rating of 1.76? And Michelle, if I'm remembering that episode correctly, I didn't particularly care for it all that much. But Michelle, do you remember? You, You watched it, right? Yes, it's when they go to Kaznia, and I thought it was kind of cute seeing all the different versions of Tessmacher and the interaction between, you know, Kara and Lena. I always like those type of episodes. Okay. And then moving on to Monday, the 6th of May, this episode of Legends of Tomorrow aired to a live plus seven-day DVR number of 1.51. It was followed by Arrow in its 21st episode of the seventh season, Living Proof, to a live plus seven-day DVR rating of 1.16. 
That's the lowest of the week here. And then on Tuesday, the 7th of May, Flash aired the 21st episode of their fifth season titled The Girl with the Red Lightning to a live plus seven day DVR rating of 2.62. We talk about it every week. Just want to reiterate it that these numbers do not include, as far as we know, the CW app, which we assume would probably almost double all these numbers. So these are pretty good numbers. Very respectable for legends here. We're used to thinking about that as potentially getting the short end of the stick because of not airing for what, like three months at one time and things like that. But respectable third place there. Well done, legends. Well done indeed. Now, Michelle, you normally kick us off into the overall theme of the episode. We normally equate the theme to the title of the episode. What do you got for us this week? We have Nip, which is short for nipple. And Gary Nip hypnotized a bunch of people this episode that was cute it's a great expression i love it i loved it too and stuck our main other storyline on the flip side and one of the reasons why mick had such a great episode is because our legends get stuck in the ice age like the donner party i didn't get that why why was that in there just to annotate that they might freeze there or something. I, I don't know why they annotated because it could have been anywhere in the world. Why the Donner Pass? Because the Donner Party is infamous. They got stuck in this pass. They thought they could go through. They went through too, either too soon or too late. I can't remember which, but they went at the wrong time. Everyone was like, no, don't go. And they got stuck and they had to resort to cannibalism. Because that's where the whole I'm not getting eaten thing comes along. I think it's interesting. Gideon was trying to tell Sarah, we're going to the Donner Pass. This is famous for blah, blah, blah. And Sarah says, oh, we don't need that exposition. And then she pushes on the lever, which I know that's your favorite maneuver, SP. She did that a couple of times this episode. The one control on the stick and you just push it forward and the ship does whatever. It's magic. Why not? Constantine's on the ship now. Yeah, of course. And then you have that third part where Constantine is stuck in his own guilt party, basically. He feels guilty for what's happened to Ray. He feels guilty for letting everyone down. There's the whole Astra bit. And he is a decent guy because what he does to save the Puka. But we'll talk about that. So there's a lot of stuff kind of going on. But as we talking about the past, most of all, that happens because Neron takes Constantine there and then he tricks Constantine into uses his magic because Neron, I guess, can tap into Ray's mind and gets like the Wave Rider protocol or their habits or something. And he makes the Wave Rider show up. And then I'm going to throw this over to you, Chris, because you are. McRory expert by this time. Why do you think Gideon followed his order instead of Sarah? Let me steal a phrase from our good friend Neil here. Because plot, in all honesty, I don't have a good reason why Gideon would defer to someone who isn't the captain when it comes to something like that, other than maybe that's what Gideon wanted to do, but Gideon especially when Rip Hunter was around, tends to defer to the captain's role quite a bit. So I honestly don't have a good reason for why Mick's order to fire would be the one that's followed here. I mean, 
I guess he's sort of the de facto XO just because of experience, maybe, but that shouldn't override the commanding officer's orders. So I don't know. Do you guys have any better thought as to why Gideon listened to Mick? The XO position is a great thought, especially since they went into the fact that Sarah and Mick were the last two originals that were left on the ship. And that's because Ray had been taken off the ship by Neuron. So I could believe the XO bit. However, I want to go into, I think Gideon is becoming more independent and more thoughtful. And even though she's aligned herself very closely with the captain, I think in this particular case, she was acting for the best interests of everybody. And she's done this throughout the course of the show. This is just the most overt example of it. And I want to see she was countermanding Sarah, but she really wasn't. She was just waiting for some. She wasn't going to do it by herself. She was waiting for somebody to order her to do something as she wanted to fire. So as soon as Mick said fire, she did. I guess that's a good argument then is that Sarah wasn't really saying no. She just wasn't saying anything. It was someone gave an order and she followed it. I don't know. However, if I was a good ship's AI, I would have known that if I shot in that cannon with the ice all around the mountaintops, I would have thought that there would have been an avalanche that came down on the ship. So if that was true, she is thinking with a one-track mind and wanting to kill Neron as well. I mean, it is personal what Neron has done. I mean, they took one of the more beloved members of the crew in the act of possessing him, had him beat up another member of the crew who's fairly well-liked, and then have absconded with his body and John Constantine. So tensions are running high, I guess is a good way of putting it. They were running pretty high between Nate and Mick, that's for sure, afterwards. Yeah. Okay, if Gideon acted on her own, do you think she manipulated them into acting the way they did, into shutting everything down, and then eventually, because Mick and Sarah argue in this episode, and Charlie poses as Mick in order to try to get like the peace and, and such, but then they eventually... It's almost like a WWRP moment. What would Ray Palmer do? Yeah, exactly what it was, because it was said both in the emergency guide and in the game that they played. It was said twice, and it was from Ray's own words. So, yeah, she was probably manipulating everybody to think in terms of what Ray would do in this case. Yeah. So when it comes to this, how do we rate Sarah as a captain? Because this is her being a captain. When it comes to this part of the story, she was thinking in terms that it was a trap and it turned out to be a trap, but she didn't have full control of her crew in that Mick was allowed to give the order, basically. So I want to rate her a little higher than I'm going to, but I'm just because of what happened. I'll I'll say six. I'll say it, it would have been higher, would have been an eight if she was able to think all the way through and say it's a trap, but she didn't get there and she allowed Mick to say fire. So there was a lot of good things that happened after that and the team came together and they eventually got back to Constantine. So yay. And she was the one that said, hey, turn all the ship systems back on to get them back to that point. So I mean, I want to rate her high, but it's that one thing, allowing Mick to give the order to fire, which she was knowing that wasn't the best thing to do. I'll give her a six. 
They lived. That's a solid passing grade, so I was going to say a 7. I think it was them turning on the ship systems again. I don't know if that was necessarily a command decision to free them. It was more a command decision of, hey, if we're going to die, we're at least going to go down comfortable and being our wacky, ridiculous crew that we are. So I'm not exactly sure that that wasn't more a matter of luck that that's what freed them than some thought of, you know, overusing the ship systems will heat up enough of the space around the ship to magically free us from the ice. So seven for a lot of the same reasons that SP mentioned. And I think that. Uh, Sarah needs to have a conversation with Gideon to be like, hey, in high-pressure situations, I'm the captain. The orders come from the captain. Don't just decide to listen to Mick. You're right. They all lived in the end. She followed Ray's survival guide, which, of course, Ray would create. And I love the fact that they were playing his card game. What do we call that, like Ray's Against Humanity or something like that? I mean, it's, it looked like a play on Cards Against Humanity. I forget the game name. This is the second time it's come up, but yeah, it's something like that. I know it's his like crew building card game and stuff. It's very cute. And she finally listened to Mick because Mick had a great point because she tried to blame him and Charlie because they went off to the book con, the romantic con. And he's like, what? You're the only one that gets to go out and have a life and nothing's your fault. How come we can't have a life? And she comes around and it's like, yes, everyone is part of the crew and everyone deserves to have a life. I would agree. Eventually, she brought herself up to a seven. It's a passing grade. She doesn't fail out of the course this week. She's back to take the next exam next week if we want to continue the school analogy. 2-0 and go. It may pay to get A's, but C's get degrees, my friends. Talking about grading, the Time Bureau. Gary comes along, and he's actually in Ava's chair. What did you think about that, SP? He knew something was up, and we knew the whole thing with Gary and the nipple from near on, and I wasn't clear how Gary was able to take control of everybody as easily as he did. And no, I get the nipple was possessed, but does a possessed nipple really have that much power? Well, evidently, it was the tool to brainwash because of its demonic influence. So, assuming he could brainwash Ava to begin with, and he was smart in the fact he was waiting for her in her office, or it'd be a one-on-one moment, and he could unleash the demonic nipple to then brainwash her, he's basically free and clear then, because everyone's going to listen to Ava, even if it doesn't necessarily make sense, but performance reviews right now, they all did it, because she's the boss, and the plan sort of paid off, it's just... This execution and setup of it was a little strange, but it's the only way I could think of to make it work if you had a demonic nipple that could brainwash people. I mean, unless you're just flashing people through the office. And remember, the nipple is an eye. And what better way to take over a government office than through bureaucracy, through paperwork? I mean, remember when Nora was trying to become an agent? First off, she has the worst ID picture ever. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's having trouble with her paperwork because the system thinks she's 15 years old and in an institution because the whole timey-wimey stuff. Wibbly-wobbly. Also, I did like Gary's evaluation. Blah, blah, blah. Just, I'm going to use that for all my employees from now on. Blah, blah, blah. That's what these evaluations basically come down to. It's a bunch of BS words to try and justify hopefully getting a pay raise, but then get turned around to justify not giving a pay raise because it's like, oh, you didn't fulfill all of these goals you wrote out that never made any sense. 
I'm not all about these evaluation tools. They don't really work very well. Minimally successful. I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we actually got to see Mona use her deductive reasoning skills. I thought Mona had a really good episode. Yeah, she got a chance to kind of shine as being the brains that tries to save everyone. Yeah, she ended up getting locked in the room, though, and I just, I didn't see the turn that happened there. I mean, I guess it was, it was great TV and, and that the, um, I don't know, what do we call her, the witch? Is that what she is? We call her a witch? Nora? I guess that's the closest thing that we could think of. Okay, so, Nora is turned, and I just, I, I, I thought higher of Nora there, but I guess maybe she just didn't see it coming. Yeah, because she's already nervous about becoming a Time Bureau agent, and she is worried about doing everything right and by the book. So she's distracted, and she's wanting to be a part of the team, so she is going in there. And also, everyone had, had that little, why Gary? Yeah. So everyone's defenses were already immediately down, because it's Gary. Yeah, nobody expects Gary to be the uh, the problem child. Gary is all the man we need. Mm-hmm. It was a catchy phrase, let's be honest, though. And said in such a deadpan manner. <laughs> Almost monotone at some points in time. We were like, oh yeah, they're totally brainwashed. SP, what did you think of Wolfie saving the day? Oh, awesome. And the fact that Mona could communicate back and forth with Wolfie and they're working together, that is awesome to see that now. And I look for great things in the next couple episodes for Mona and Woofy because they are awesome together. They're awesome apart, but they're awesome together, too. Agreed. Yeah, because Woofy finally gets... No, Mona is drugged into, you know, taken into Gary's office. Because in the cell, she thought she was going to die alone. And then Woofy actually takes over the hand and says, not alone. And there was just that moment. She's just like, not now, not now. When Gary reveals the nipple, she's like, now, Wolfie. <laughs> and Ava and Nora come in, and Wolfie's able to knock each other, them together, knocking sense into them both. Yeah, well done, Wolfie. Cognitive recalibration, as they put it in the Avengers flick. I hit you really hard in the head. <laughs> That's true. I got another one for you, Chris. You're going to have to finish this quote for me. I'm on the spot now. The possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. I loved a, full, a straight up Star Wars reference in there. I was like, ah, oh, that's delightful. I was waiting for Mick to come out and say, never tell me the odds or something like that. And they just they didn't finish the quote there. But yeah, that's a total Star Wars quote from Empire Strikes Back, by the way. The odds of 3,720 to 1. Thanks, 3PO. Or getting out of Donner Pass. In this case, yeah, Donner Pass, yes. But it was Sarah who said, don't tell me the odds that she got to do that level maneuver, SP. Oh, she did. She got to pull the hyperdrive lever, if we want to keep going with the Star Wars analogy. Why not? The one control. <laughs> one control to rule them all. Our third part is the Neuron Constantine. Neuron needs a stable portal to hell. So he can bring somebody from hell because this is mysterious Tabitha. And he takes him back in time and we meet Constantine's ancestor. 
who's responsible for the divide between humans and magical creatures for creating that distrust. Chris, what did you think of the whole meeting the ancestor? Well, I, I liked it. It's an interesting play to kind of make John Constantine doubt even the nature of his lineage, where he's like, oh, he doesn't know that this demon's actually a good demon. No, no, he knows. He's just running a total scam and doesn't care. And John kind of has to confront the fact of, oh, man, maybe there's no part of me that's actually good. Because we know John is constantly struggling with the fact that he's not really a great person. He does terrible things. He's involved with demons and possessions. And you don't see much lightness to him. And this kind of just is another switch that's able to get pushed by Neron to push him into doing what he wants until John kind of puts his own twist on it at the end, which I thought was very Constantine-ish. Yeah, he does make the portal stable so he can save himself and he saves the creature. And the wave rider comes. He actually thought they were all going to be dead. And when he sees them, he's like, oh, I was wrong. And I'm happy that I was wrong. Mm -hmm. So, SP, did you see the, his next move coming? Yeah, kind of. You knew he wasn't going to kill Ray, not with the team there. So you, you just kind of knew that he was, and he had already said that he didn't mind going to hell. So why not go to hell? And it was the only way that he knew how to ultimately fix it because he knew if he stayed in the, in the real realm that he was going to lose to Neron every time. Well, and I think it's a way to soothe his guilt over what's happened to Ray and him kind of missing everything that was going on that Ray was actually possessed by Neron not catching on until it was too late so he can sacrifice himself or potentially sacrifice himself permanently to try and bring ray back who one could argue is the heart of the legends team slash family and constantine's not really known for the sacrifice play that's what was so interesting there so, well rather the sacrifice play of himself let me rephrase yeah he's usually the one that's sacrificing other people like he did earlier with desmond and with gary's nipple it's fair <laughs> That then got eaten by Wolfie. We forgot to mention that. Did did he save it? Wolfie, it looked like ripped the nipple off. It presumably was eating because he was kind of munching on Gary's chest. Okay. It's a tasty morsel. I have been keeping this in about the mystery of Tabitha. Guys, I need to know, what was your reaction when you realized who Tabitha is? It was like, of course, it once you saw it, it's like, all right, here we go. Here's Tabitha. And what a great way to bring back the fairy godmother. The fairy godmother was, was the one of the better parts of the first part of the season. And to get her now at the end being the, the literally the big bad, it was, it was interesting. And then she had been defeated by Constantine once. And now she's back so the tables are turned and this is going to be an interesting final two episodes here and i i love the fairy godmother we we talked about we raved about the actor when she was on before and it's just great to see her back and no this was a surprise i watched the episode today i have not seen the last two episodes i thought about going forward but i didn't and it was a surprise to me. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. I wish I could have seen it with everybody else real time. Yeah, I too was also surprised, but love the fact that, oh, they tied back to the fairy godmother, a seed they planted, what, in episode one or two of this season, the payoff comes, I don't know, 13 weeks later and you go, huh, 
no wonder they were doing such a good job establishing this character, getting you interested in them. And then you're kind of like, there's a lot of establishment of a character just to have them vanish to hell. I wonder if they're going to come back. And then over the weeks, you kind of forget some of the stuff until she reappears. And you're like, son of a expletive. I censored myself there. She did appear in the mid-season finale. Remember in the puppet one, the fairy godmother was Mick got with the fairy godmother and he said you're a bunch of you're a bunch of puppets and she made them a bunch of puppets and they ended up being the ultimate crime buddy it's really interesting how mick and ray have this very interesting relationship you know he's like don't kill haircut we have to save haircut and it's like whenever mick calls him haircut it's like his basically his way of saying i care about the guy term of endearment yeah and it was just interesting seeing that, remembering that moment with the, with the fairy godmother and Mick. And now we have Ray possessed by Neuron with this Tabitha. And I love the reaction of the crew when they're like, are they kissing? Are they? Ew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ray Palmer and Tabitha. He's like, oh, we need to find you a new host. So we'll see what kind of body. It, so unfortunately, the actor that plays Tabitha is not going to be with us much longer if they get a new host for her. But. Well, Chris, is there anything else about the episode you want to talk about? I can't think of anything off the top of my head. This was a fun one. You can tell it's all building up towards the end because there's a lot of moving pieces and then it comes together with a, a decent enough cliffhanger where John Constantine goes to hell and it looks like a dirty city when he pulls himself out of the dumpster. I'm curious to see what his hell adventures are like. SP? Yeah, we have to talk about Nate and Zari. They're hooking up and they're adulting with trying to incubate this dragon egg. So it's awesome what they're able to accomplish. And I bought into the ship here, the shipping between Zari and Nate. What what did we call them? I, I think there was a whole episode on what to call them in a ship. But what do we call them? Nari? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Let's go with Nari. So Nari, is, it's just fun to watch because you're like, you're rooting for him now. And I'm not going to say anything because I know <laughs> what happens. And the last two episodes really do act like a two-parter. So we are actually going to combine our discussion. So the next time we are going to be discussing Terms of Service, which is season four, episode 15. It aired Monday, May 13th. 2019 it was directed by april mullen and written by grain godfrey and ubad muhammad then followed by hey world which is season four episode 16 that's the finale it aired monday may 20th 2019 it's directed by kevin mock and written by phil Klemmer and kito shimitsu sarah and ava concoct a bold plan to take back the time bureau zari and charlie must work together to discover what neuron is planning constantine is given a tough choice on who to save from hell Looking forward to the end of season four of Legends of Tomorrow. Live from the Starling Tribune main news desk on floor 52 of the Starling Tribune Tower, it's the weekly news roundup with award-winning chief news anchor Michelle Ely. And now, Michelle Ely. Thank you, SP. We have some casting news. I'm going to start it off with Jonah Hex is going to return in the crossover. 
At this point, there aren't any details on how his DC Comics gunslinger would fit into the epic five-hour event. But we're getting Jonah Hex back. And I really hope he's interacting with the Legends because his interaction with the Legends are the best. I would like to see him with other characters. But he's got to have some moments with at least Sarah or somebody in the Legends. Who has his hat now? It's Sarah, right? Zari. Zari. So Zari has his hat. Awkward. Very. Okay. Chris has our next bit of news. So this one's fun. I'm always a bit of a sucker for John Wesley Ship's Flash. And uh, John Wesley Ship has agreed and is returning to play the role in the Arrowverse crossover Crisis on Infinite Earths. However, we do know he's played a variety of different characters in the Arrowverse. We're not sure which role he's reprising for the event. He's played three separate characters. Henry Allen in the beginning, that's Barry's dad. Jay Garrick, and then the Barry Allen of Earth-90, which is presumably the Flash that we know from the 1990s Flash television show. Henry died in season two, so it probably won't be him. And in season four, Jay announced his plan to train a new Flash for Earth-3, saying he'd retire after that. So it's possible he might return as Earth-3 Flash, coming out of retirement to help. He could also return as the Flash from the 90s TV show. And that is honestly what I'm hoping for, because I'm still a sucker for that TV show. It may not have aged well, but I sure have great childhood memories of that show. I am looking forward to this crossover. When I heard that news, I'm like, this crossover is just keep getting better. Next season, our last season of Arrow, we are going to have a favorite return, and that is Willa Holland. She is not only going to return, but she is going to recur in the 10-episode farewell run. It's going to be great to see Thea back. I don't care if she's in the present storyline or the future storyline. We're getting Willa Holland back. And I am happy to see her back. My guess it is going to be in the future just based on the storylines of what has occurred so far. And yeah, I agree. I don't care if it's present or future, but I just think it's going to be in the future based on what's happening. I I imagine you're right in seeing as Colton Haynes, there's talk that he, well, he's not back as a recurring character as far as we know. And there's talk they might try and bring him back on a couple one-offs. Bringing her back in the future can help kind of seal off his story and kind of explain what happened to him in the present day and why he may disappear in the future when he was quite alive and well. When I learned about John Wesley's ship, I was like, this crossover got a thousand times better. Well, there's something I've been wanting, something I would say that even make this crossover even better. And Chris, take it. So I'm guessing you want somebody to save you. Yes? Yes. Yeah, that was a nice deep pull there for anyone who knows. This news just broke today. Tom Welling is is returning to reprise his role as Clark Kent from Smallville in the Arrowverse crossover. Yes, he's returning in his Smallville role, joining the other Supermen that includes Tyler Hoechlin and Brandon Routh, who are both also playing Clark Kent slash Kal-El. So yes, Tom Welling coming back. He sort of teased it on Instagram, I think it was at one point in time. It is official now. Everyone is geeking out. I've only seen one negative comment about this, and it's from someone that I know on Facebook who is not a fan of Smallville whatsoever. So like, ugh, more of this crap. I'm like, this crap is awesome. (laughs) I'm excited that Tom Welling is coming back to be uh, Clark Kent slash Superman. And maybe this time we actually get him in the suit because my biggest beef with the Smallville finale is we never really see Clark in the suit. They see they did a CGI Superman flying around and doing things. At the very end, he undoes his shirt and has the Superman suit on underneath that. But you never actually see Tom Welling in the suit with the cape. I want to see it in this crossover. Make it happen. And 
More interestingly now, it means that the Smallville universe is now tied to the Arrow universe, and that's intriguing. I'm still waiting for the Henry Cavill announcement, but this is pretty cool, too. I didn't watch the show like y'all did, but yeah, I think this is really cool. And I think it's cool that Dean's been on the show, too, or at least in the Arrowverse. And I wouldn't put it beyond him coming back in the Superman cape as well. We'll see. I'm really hoping that this opens the door for Michael Rosenbaum to return as Lex Luthor, because one could argue he has done the best, best excuse me, version of Lex Luthor in the modern day, Michael Rosenbaum. And he's really good in the role. We focused on all the heroes, basically, that are coming back. But yeah, I could definitely see a lot of the villains coming back as well, because you got to have the same villains in all the different universes. I just think it's cool. I think it's cool the way that Warner Brothers is trying to stitch this all together, especially in a weak point in their films. I think this literally they could point to and say, see, it's all connected in the same multiverse. All the films going back to the 79 Superman all the way through Justice League and Wonder Woman and Aquaman. It's and all the CW stuff, all the CW Arrowverse. It's all the same universe. I think this could be Warner Brothers way out of the hashtag it's all connected that Marvel was sort of able to pull off over the last 15 years or so. So, yeah, I think this is great. I think they're putting a lot of stock into it and I can't wait. Wait, wait, what? What? What is it? <gasps> Guys, late breaking news. We're going to be on the crossover. It's not true, but yeah, I see more announcements coming out in the future. There's still time. They have not started filming things, and I would not be surprised that if Tom Welling is coming, we get a few other appearances from Smallville heroes or potentially villains. I'm sure they could try and get Lyra Vandervoot to come back as a Supergirl there, and then you could have multiple Supergirls in the crisis as well. That's an important note that they have started to film the crossover now. Yeah, I know the scripts are done. I think they're in the process of actually starting to get there. I'm just wondering if there must be drafts of the scripts if Tom Welling said no, and there has to be scripts of Tom Welling saying yes. So the real question is, how big of a role does Tom Welling's Clark Kent play if they could continue to do their scripting in this potential late and breaking edition doesn't break them horribly did they just set it up so that similar to how jms did babylon 5 it was easy to fold people in and out because how they did the script or are they kind of just putting him in there in a small cameo role where he might only show up for like five minutes but it's just that nice nostalgia blaster everyone's like yes yes it's my clark kent i grew up with i am thinking of it and this is just assumptions this is what's been going on in my head canon i've been thinking of it in terms of the avengers final battle now, a lot of things happened in the avengers final battle but you got all the cameos throughout the Avengers final battle, except for Black Widow. But you did get all of the cameos for everybody, most everybody that had been playing main roles in the Marvel Cinematic Universe at that point in time. I'm thinking the same thing's going to happen here, but I could be completely wrong. It literally could be interactions and episodes of having these people in and out. It'll be fun. I've read different interviews. I think Tom Welling managed his money really well from his Smallville days because he hasn't had to do anything out from desperation. We know certain actors who have just like mismanaged their money and we know when they take jobs for just the paycheck. He's been directing a couple of things, I think TV episodes or maybe shorts, I don't know. 
the people who do Lucifer, they talked about how they had to court him. They had to really explain the arc and let him know that he it's a really good role. It's something that he hasn't done before. He gets to explore different sides. I don't think he is he would agree to him coming on saying hi and then going away. I think he has to have a meaningful interaction of some sort. I think he maybe we get him in the suit. I ha- I think it has to be something significant. I'm not think I'm not saying that he's like the star of all five of them or anything, but I think whenever he appears is going to be a significant moment at least. That's tough because I take this as Stephen Amell's farewell, and I would think that Stephen Amell would be highlighted through all, all of these. So I, I don't know. It's a good point. No, they have stressed over and over again that this is not supposed to be about Stephen Amell being going away. This is supposed to be about all of them. Yes, of course, you know, Oliver Queen is going to make that sacrifice. There's that big whole thing with the monitor and everything. but. They've made it clear they don't want his goodbye to be tied to it, that they've had this whole goodbye thing planned. And even Stephen Amell is like, no, that's not the finale. We have something else that is what I've been wanting to do for the finale. This is not a five-hour, let's say goodbye to Oliver Queen. This is crisis on infinite Earth. It's going to be a significant story. Yeah, I think they're going to go the route of it's the ensemble kind of thing. Continue the Avengers analogy that you had, SP. It's a movie about everyone, but you have a few people that might get featured a little bit more. So you'll have like your Captain America, Tony Starks, and Thors that got a lot more screen time than other people. So in this case, it'd probably be like Stephen Amell, Grant Gustin, and uh, oh, I'm having a complete brain fart on the actress who plays Supergirl all of a sudden. Melissa Benoist. Yeah, I wanted to say Lara Vandervoot, but that was the wrong uh, generation of Supergirls there. So I I think we're going to see more of an ensemble thing where everyone else is kind of tied in with these folks, similar to what we had with Avengers, and I'm okay with that. And going back to what you were saying, Michelle, on Tom Welling seeming to manage his money well. So there's different websites that estimate celebrity net worth, and there's a few out there, and they all average out to having Tom Welling with a net worth of roughly $14 million. So imagine spending 10 years as a leading man on a CW television drama and being smart with your money, investing it properly, and then getting into directing and doing smaller acting bits. I imagine he's in a position where he can be discerning as to the roles he wants to take, which is probably why we haven't seen him on screen a lot because he's just doing stuff that interests him right now because it's not like oh my god i need a paycheck it's oh this actually sounds sort of interesting let's go work on this for six months and see what comes out of it either way it's gonna be a fun ride oh yeah i've been really looking forward to this for a while and yeah there's been there's some negative stuff about it like i have to watch i feel like i have to watch all the cw shows in the fall leading up to it to stay current on everything and for the crossover to be a little bit more meaningful, and honestly, it's at a time where I want to drop some of the shows, but there's more shows coming on. Of course, Arrow's ending, but you have Batwoman coming on, and you have had Black Lightning, which is now part of the crossover, too. So, I don't know. I, it's, I feel like I'm pinned into watching all these shows. It's kind of overwhelming. Yeah. The prospect of it's similar to when they do one of those mega events in comics, and you've got 6,000 tie-ins, and you're just like, Oh my God, how am I going to read all this stuff? I'm almost getting that feeling here, but I'm still excited. 
we were talking about it on Legends of Shield this week when we did Into the Spider Verse. There's so many Easter eggs in there. I I'm lost because I just don't have all of the background into the comics. Yeah, it was a decent movie to begin with, but I just didn't have all the background to tie everything together. And I would, I want to enunciate. I, I'm not trying to poo-poo the crossover. Like I said, I'm excited for it. I am a big world builder, so I love when worlds get built and then you see the expanse of the entire uh, universe on screen. And and that's what's got me excited about the crossover. The bad part is I, I got to watch some crappy stuff, in my opinion. We'll see this next season in order to get there. So That's fair. But, but before we step off this topic real quick, I know you didn't watch Smallville SB, but Michelle, I'm pretty sure you did. If we could only get a few more Smallville characters over for the crossover, say two or three more, who would you want them to be? Well, I know one who is definitely not available and we wouldn't want back, but definitely Michael Rosenbaum. I would love to see, you know, I know Justin Hartley is on This Is Us. So he, he wouldn't have time, but it'd be awesome to see him back. Yeah, like he wouldn't have time. And I, I don't even know if he would even want to, but he was all over Queen. I know it was an awful suit and everything, but he was still, you know, our first, he was my first green arrow. I think it'd be interesting to see Elena Huffman come back as Black Canary again. So you could have another Black Canary here. That would be really cool. Yeah, do we have another Lois? Ooh. Erica Durance was Lois in there, so you could have two Loises that way. Plus, she's already had a role on Supergirl, so that could be interesting. I'm sure she would be amenable to coming back, potentially. And I also like the dual cut of if Michael Rosenbaum comes back to be uh, Lex Luthor. Similar to how we have Kevin Conroy in there as Bruce Wayne as the voice actor, you have a Flash voice actor back on the show, too, because Michael Rosenbaum was the voice of the Flash through all the Justice League cartoons. Who else would you have, Chris? Oh, so like I mentioned, Elena Huffman, I think would be really interesting to see come back. Uh, you can't get Chloe back because of legal issues. So that's not going to happen. Otherwise, I would love to see the Watchtower back in that regard. Uh, Lois Lane, I think would be interesting to see come back. Uh, if I just had to do a random poll, uh, I want to see Impulse, Bart Allen, come back. Because, hey, we need another speedster for the crisis. Because some speedster has to die if we follow Crisis on Infinite Earths, the comics. Do I think it's going to be Bart Allen from Smallville? Probably not, but I think it would be really interesting just to have another speedster from a different multiverse there, and they can be like, there's still more of us? I thought we knew them all already. It could be John Wesley's ship, too. I, we'll see. Yeah, I, th I still think we're going to get John Wesley's ship back, and I'm hoping as the uh, Barry Allen from the 90s TV show versus the Jay Garrick from what we've already been introduced to, just because they made that suit again just to do the, the teaser for Crisis. Let's get some more uses out of it. And that suit's so different than everything else we see on screen. Exactly. And that is all we have for the news. Well, looking at the time then, I think it is time for us to start wrapping up this latest installment of the Starling Tribune. So a big thank you to everyone who did join us live over at Geeks.Live, the official streaming home of the Gunna Geek Network. But also a giant thank you to everyone who downloads the audio episodes over at StarlingTribune.com or catches the video replays over at youtube.com slash gonna geek we have and we've talked about this before we have a discord server which you can find at gonna geek.com slash discord and michelle has been doing a fantastic job 
of stuffing all of this great CW Arrowverse news into our channel on the Discord on Starling Tribune. She does a lot of the other channels as well, uh, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. being one of them. But there's a lot of talk across the board if you're interested in podcasting, if you're interested in smart devices, if you're interested into smartphones. You know, Apple has released their new iPhone 11. So if you want to talk about any of that stuff, including items related to Starling Tribune, please go to gunnageek.com slash discord. And remember, you can always watch us live as we record at www.geeks.live at 7.30 p.m. Eastern or 4.30 p.m. Pacific on Thursdays and join our live chat. And we would love to interact with you as we record. We would love to hear from you. We are the Starling Tribune on Facebook and Instagram at Starling Tribune on Twitter. And you can call us at 612-888-CAVE. That's 612-888-2283. Well, this brings us to the end of another great episode. Any last words before we sign off? At Stargate Pioneer. Hashtag Nipnotize. At the Chris Farrell. Hashtag Somebody Save Me, Hoss. And I am at Michelle Ely signing off with hashtag What Would Ray Palmer Do? Oracle, I think we're done here. This was the Starling Tribune. You can leave us feedback at gunnageek.com or check out our archive at starlingtribune.com. Visit gunnageek.com for more podcasts. Music by Kevin McLeod can be found at incompetech.com. This podcast is not produced or maintained by the CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, stories, and situations are the property of Time Warner. No infringement is intended. We will see you for the next episode of CW's Arrow.